the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 23, we're going to look at verses 39 through 43, and I need a tremendous favor. Brother Jeff, I left my Bible in my office. <laughs> I've been having some low blood sugar issues this morning, so I'm, I'm, not, all, I'm not all with me today, so uh, <clears throat> bear with me. If I, if I keel over up here, just keep going, all right? Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's embarrassing when the preacher runs off and leaves his Bible laying somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's not a good sign. But in uh, Luke chapter 23, and all the time I was in the back, I said, get your Bible. So here we go. Pick up with me at verse 39. <clears throat> and one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, that is Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, do you, do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, uh, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and really focus on verse 43. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, and that's a great word to underline, highlight in your, in your Bible, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me. There's another phrase, underline it, highlight that, with me in paradise. A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, ages five and three. The boys began to argue over who was going to get the first pancake, and the mom recognized, hey, I have a teachable moment here. So she looks and she says, if Jesus was sitting here right now, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Well, the five-year-old turned to the little brother and he said, hey, little brother. You get to be Jesus today. <laughs> Smiling is important, but that story helps us remember that we all struggle with selfishness and sin. There are Christians today who find comfort, I know I do, from Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul describes the spiritual battle that goes on between us and in us. He said, the thing I want to do is I find I'm not doing. And the thing I don't want to do is what I find I am doing. And so there's a battle that's raging on inside of us. We want to do good and we want to be righteous and we want to be holy, but we find the flesh really showing up a lot and getting in the way. I mentioned that struggle to you because it's a great illustration of how incredibly wonderful the forgiveness of God is for those who will just accept it. God is ready to give you forgiveness. He's ready to, to lavish you with His love. And the forgiveness can be made possible only because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross at Calvary so many years ago. But you know, today is that day for all Christians when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Without that resurrection, we really have no hope. Our religion, our faith, is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And because He did, our faith drives us to believe that. It's just like when I sit down in that chair, I have faith that that chair is going to hold me up. When I get in my car, I have faith that it's going to start. Most of the time. I have faith that it's going to start. When I sit down to eat at a restaurant, I'm having faith that I'm not going to eat E. coli broke out all over my food. 
Amen? And so it is with faith. God will redeem us. He will deliver us. And He offers more than making just life easy. It's not easy. It's tough. But in the midst of the toughness of life, God can bring great blessings. And so Jesus did more than teach positive thinking. He offers a trip to paradise. Of all the words spoken by Jesus from the cross, this promise of eternal life to this condemned criminal illustrates that unique holiness and majesty of the Lord Jesus. As clearly as anything that He ever said, we're going to focus at verse 43. Because there we find the real truth of salvation. But I want, you, I want us to learn three things from the conversion of this thief on the cross. The first one I want you to know is we need to look at the condition of a sinner. This thief described in graphic detail reveals the condition of every soul that stands before a holy God. The thief, first of all, was physically helpless. Unable to attend church, could not give an offering, could not perform good deeds. Tied to a cross. His condition reflected the insufficiency of our good deeds to accomplish salvation. We can't good our way. We can't work our way. We can't hope our way. We can only follow and believe Jesus Christ. No amount of discipline, no amount of service, no amount of financial resources, no amount of anything we can do can qualify us to enter paradise with Jesus. We are physically helpless. The second thing I want you to notice about this thief is that he was morally corrupt. And that's why he was being crucified. We openly, or he openly admitted his guilt when he began to rebuke the other thief who was uh, mocking Jesus. Look what he says in verse 41 of chapter 23. He says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. That may be true that you and I are not on death row because of crimes that we've committed. But the scripture is very clear when it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's very clear that there are none righteous, no, not one. It is very clear that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And like the morally corrupt thief, we have disqualified ourselves for paradise through these sinful acts of disobedience and corruption. Third thing I want you to see about this thief is that he also was spiritually dead. One of the consequences of our sin is that it creates a spiritual death within each of us. The great news is how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I love that passage because it's a past tense issue. He's telling the, the Christians in Ephesus, you used to be this way. If you're a believer in Christ and you've been uh, in relationship with Him for a while, listen, that's all past. But you may be discovering that you're still struggling with sin. 
you may still be discovering that you're stubbing your toe on an occasion. The good news is he's got you covered. He's got you covered. 1 John 1, 9 says, If I'll confess my sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So if you make a mistake, good news, he's going to love you. There's a safety net there. Moms are that way. They love you in spite of what we do, don't they? Oh, they look like they're going to tear your head off. They look like they're... And they raised... My mom had that eyebrow thing. Did, you, did your moms have that? I don't know what it is. They have children and all of a sudden their eyebrows... Are, you know, they can do funky things with their eyebrows. <clears throat> and my wife could do that with my boys. I mean, she just raised that eyebrow. I mean, it strikes fear in you. Amen? I mean, these Caleb boys are... They're, their mother's sitting between them. And I'm glad she's sitting there. Because they'll finally behave in church today. Praise God. No, if we got Eleanor talking, we'd, we, we would lose all sense of, of reason about how we look at those two Caleb boys. Because <laughs> there's some stories she could tell. They were raised in a preacher's house. I've got some of those that I, they shouldn't tell them stories. And that's just that's not good. But this thief was uh, spiritually dead. He needed redemption. He needed help. He needed deliverance. So we see his condition now I want you to secondly see the conversion of this sinner. And, and this is an awesome picture. It's the same picture that all of us, every person must go through in order for us to find eternal life. First thing, he admitted his sin. He said in, in this passage, he says, we are punished justly. But the sad reality is that many people are unwilling to admit their sin before our holy God. They are so proud and so boastful and they talk about how good they are. And, oh, it's just, God, you should be blessed just to have me a part of your kingdom. I mean, God, if I show up, everything's good. I mean, it's like God should just stop the presses and say, whoop, Harold's in town. How many of you believe you got angels watching over you? Boy, I do. I do. I believe with all my heart that when my feet hit the floor and my eyes open up and I'm starting to live life again every day, God has to call the angel core because there's a core where they live and sleep. I'm just, I don't know that for sure. I'm just making this up, okay? Roll with me, though. Because every time my feet hit the floor and my eyes open up and I'm breathing, I'm walking, God calls him. He says, boys, he's up again. Because <laughs> it takes a whole bunch of them watching over me. So we need to understand that God loves us, but we've got to admit our wrong. And that's the hardest thing for us to do, is to admit that we've done anything wrong. I used to love it when my boys would get into the cookie jar or into the candy, and they'd have chocolate chips all over their face, all over the counter, all over the floor, all over their hands. And their mother would walk in and say, All right, who's getting into those cookies? That looked like, not me. Not me. That's the way we are with God. Once we learn to admit our sins, the Bible says, and calls it confessing our sins, forgiveness can come. Second thing, admit your sins. Second thing the thief did is he acknowledged the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Jesus. In fact, he rebukes that other thief and declares that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And this thief that's repenting understands that Jesus is the King of Kings. He understands what so many of the religious leaders failed to grasp. And that was Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom. 
even with his hands nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns on his head, a thief acknowledged the lordship of Christ. And we find, we find this truth proclaimed by the apostles when Paul and Silas were in jail and the earthquake came and the chains fell off and the gates were opened and they were ready to walk out. The Philippian jailer is worried for his very life because his prisoners were, he thought, gone. And Paul says to him, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. They didn't run. They took the opportunity. And so we need to, to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. And unless we do that, we can't enter the eternal paradise that God has promised. The third step that the thief took on his conversion experience is that he asked for salvation. He asked for salvation. He humbly looks at Jesus and he says, look in your text, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm so convinced that the large majority of people, especially in the Bible Belt where I live, have sufficient knowledge about the claims of Christ. They understand that Jesus is the Holy Son of God who gave His life for the sins of the world. Some would openly admit their sinful condition, but they have never asked Jesus to be their Savior. They are unwilling to turn from their sin and, and repent. Instead, they choose to willingly reject Christ until they are ready. On too many occasions, sad occasions, I hear from people, well, preacher, I believe what you're saying is true, but I'm just not ready to do that today. The thief was saved from his sin and entered into eternal paradise because he admitted his sin, acknowledged the supremacy of Christ, and he asked for salvation. And what Jesus did for the thief on the cross he can do for you and me today. We've seen the condition, the conversion, and now I want us to see the best part of this whole picture, this whole story, is the compassion of the Savior. Jesus was not obligated to save this thief. He could have looked at him and said, Hey, look, man, you've heard me preach. You've seen the miracles. You know, I was putting the message out there. You didn't receive it too late, no hope for you. Boy, I'm glad I don't have a God like that, aren't you? I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Because you see, He told the thief, you'll be with me. You'll be with me. And look in verse 43. He says, he says today. Remember I told you to underline that highlight? Today. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what you've done in the past. He can save you today. You're not promised tomorrow, but you can be saved today. The Scripture says now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. And I love that phrase also in verse 43 when He says, With me, you will be with me. Stories told of Jackie Robinson, first black player in, in professional baseball. He broke through the race barrier. One day he was playing in his home stadium in Brooklyn. He committed an error and the Dodger fans began to ridicule Jackie Robinson yelling racial slurs and for that error that he committed and, 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 and something astonishing happened. Shortstop Pee Wee Reese walked over, 
put his arm around Jackie Robinson, and then he says, he stared at the crowd. And as he stared at the crowd, the message became very clear. Pee Wee Reese wanted everybody to know that Jackie Robinson was with him. And Jackie Robinson was Pee Wee Reese's teammate and his friend. And Jackie Robinson would later say that that arm around his shoulder saved his baseball career. You see, I've often wondered what James and John thought when they got to heaven. You know, you, you might recall their names. They were called Sons of Thunder. They had asked for a special place in heaven. Perhaps they thought, well, what is this thief doing here? What's he doing with Jesus? I mean, after all, we're the, we, we, we're the ones that deserve the proper place. I mean, we're the preachers. We're the pastors. We're the, we're the spiritual leaders. I mean, hey, you know any preachers like that that think they're better than you? Preachers that think they should go first in the line instead of last? Preachers that think, oh boy, I'm going to jump on preachers for a while, okay? Because we jump on you a lot, it's time for us to get jumped on. Because sometimes we walk high and lofty, amen? I've asked our folks here for many, many years, do not lift me up as the preacher. Number one, I'm heavy, and it will hurt you. Number two, when I fall, and I will, it will hurt me further because I'm going to be up here. All right, So let me just stay down here with you, and when I fall, then I can kind of be where you are. Because that's where we all are, isn't it? Not? Because the, foot at the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. I don't think any preachers get to go up a hill. I don't think any of us do. But you know, Peter and John thought they were something special. And can you imagine when they, when they got to heaven and saw Jesus walking in with this thief? Step back. What is going on? And I love it because I think Jesus walked up and said, Hey, John. Hey, James. What's going on? Jesus. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I've got a guest I want to introduce you to. And so he brings the thief. He's got his arms still around him. Hey, man. This is my buddy right here. That's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus who lets us be under His arm. That's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus you know. And if you don't know Him, I want you to know Him. Do you have your sins forgiven? Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Do you want to live in the light instead of being enslaved by darkness? If any of those questions were answered yes, then all you've got to do is to look to the cross and know the way of the cross leads home. Hymn writer Jesse Pounds said it this way, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. Every crime against humanity, every genocide, every unspeakable act of oppression and tyranny, Every act of terrorism, every starving nation ignored, every drop of martyred blood, every orphan and widow abandoned, 
Every stranger in need passed by. Every deviant and perverse lifestyle. Every marriage torn asunder. Every word uttered in hate. Every injustice. Every theft. Every grudge. Every bitterness. Every lust. Every fear. Every lie. Every doubt. Every one. this morning I want to thank you Jesus for taking care of all the things that we need taken care of I want to thank you for helping heal broken marriages we see them in our midst right here in our church your healing power I want to thank you for healing people's infirmities we see them right here in front of us in our church. I want to thank you for loving us enough to die on the cross for our souls. And Father, we've seen people respond and be saved right here in our church. Father, we've seen people delivered from alcoholism and addictions. Father, we've seen young people restore relationships with parents. But Father, today, I believe in this room will be people with needs that need to be met. And Father, you, you can meet those needs. So Father, would they have courage today to let you meet them at, at their point of need? And Father, would we stop and remember that like a thief on the cross, we need to admit our sin, acknowledge who you are and ask for salvation and when we humble ourselves to that point you come rushing in so Lord if there's someone here today that has a decision to make would they make it in Jesus name Amen let's be standing as we share this song together alright good morning church so excited. Over the last couple of weeks and, and months, we've been working with our teens and, and sharing the gospel with them and sharing Christ and, and sharing about church and just the great life we have with Christ and and uh, that mic that I need to take. We've been sharing with our kids about Christ and about salvation and uh, about baptism and about communion and and, and, and different areas in, of, of church and ministry and salvation and and a couple of our kids have have come to us and said, you know, we want to be baptized. 
And so starting today and, and, and next Sunday, we're going to have four kids that are going to be baptized, which is, which is amazing. You know, when uh, some of you Oklahoma fans, that's a, you know, when, when OU makes it to the top 25, you're, you're just like, whoa, you know, or number one. Some of you aren't satisfied with number three or four. You, it has to be number one. So you all get excited. Well, listen, for us as, as people who are in ministry, when somebody comes and says, we want to be baptized, that brings us to tears. There's just, there's nothing, there's nothing more phenomenal because these people are saying, you know what? I've, I've, I've looked at life. I've looked at the different choices and I make a decision to commit my life to Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. And that is just phenomenal. And so I want, I want you church to just say, praise God that we got destiny today that want to breathe at us. Amen. <laughs> All right. Listen. Yeah. Hold on here for a second. I met, uh, we've been meeting and, and we still uh, plan on meeting for the next couple of weeks, uh, just going over some, you know, some, some things that we have in terms of church. And, but I met with them last Tuesday and, uh, with, the, with the four people that are going to be baptized. And, you know, I began to ask them questions. And I, I work with them every Sunday. I had, I was literally, I told pastor, I was knocked off my feet just by depthness of, depthness of their knowledge in terms of, in terms of scripture, in terms of truth. You know, I, I asked them, what does it take to be saved? Destiny, what does it take to be saved? To accept Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I said, uh, I asked them, okay, so to be saved, do you, uh, do you, have, to, do you have to go to church? Is that, by going to church, are you saved? And they were like, no. By, uh, I mean, they were like five or six. By, by tithing, are you saved? No. By, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of lists. You're, you're not saved by, by doing certain things. Those are good things to do. And once you're saved, you start to do but. You're saved by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And just uh, looking, at, looking at them and listening to them, to their responses, to their answers, and, and to their desire to be baptized, you know, we couldn't say no. You know, we, we, we were like, this is, this is phenomenal. This is awesome. So we are excited that Destiny, you are a part of uh, this church, and we're excited that you made this decision. And uh, Pastor, I'm going to hand it over to you. Adam, but we're just excited. And then next Sunday, we're going to have uh, a couple more. And so... And if you're here and you're not baptized, uh, please let us know. We'd love to baptize you. We've, we'll, we'll clean the baptistry. We'll do whatever it takes. And, and you, you could be baptized. So uh, this is like making the honor roll. This is like making the, the uh, you, I, I don't know, the, the, the all-star team. Welcome to the all-star team. Wel- wel- welcome to church. <laughs> All right. Destiny, Thank you, Pastor. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And today you want to make him your personal Lord and Savior. Would you repeat the, the confession of Peter with me? I believe, I believe Jesus, is Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Folks, that's all that God ever asked us to do right there, huh? Amen? All right. Um, Cincy, I'm going to have uh, your mom come and help you. Uh, you guys will go back here. And uh, we always encourage the parents to be totally involved in the children's decision. And so her dad, Mike, is going to actually do the baptizing. He said, Pastor, I don't know what to say. I said, I'll say the words for you. Uh, you, just, you just get in there with her. So y'all go right ahead over there, and Mike's getting ready. And uh, I want to share a little bit from Scripture what you're going to see. Um, there's a process. This is a process. In the book of Romans, to me, the best picture of it is in the book of Romans, chapter 6. Uh, our church practices uh, baptism by immersion. And uh, 
again, baptism's awesome. There's so much that needs to happen in a child's life or a person's life even prior to, to the waters and baptism. But in Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And to me, here's the key. Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The only way that I can unite with his death is through this action of baptism. As destiny stands in the water in a few minutes, she's spiritually dying, dead spiritually. As she's going under the water, there's the picture of burial. And then the next picture in that section is she rises out of the water to a new life. Does she change outwardly? No. Inside, everything changes. And then all of us as an extended family have the opportunity to help her grow and mature in her faith. And so we're excited about that. And we'd love to say,